Well, Northside family, it is so good to see you today and worship with you and celebrate some life change. And would you celebrate with our people on our live stream in our video venue right now? I just want to say hello. And Man, I love when God orchestrates this stuff ahead of time, uh, that to see all these different generations through baptism begin to accept Jesus as their Savior. And this is the way that God has wired his church that God said, I want to create my church to be for all generations, to be multi-generational, multicultural. He's going, I want the gray hair, the pink hair, the no hair, right? You want, Jesus is saying, I want you to be a part of my kingdom because I have plans for you. I have a way to work in and through your life. And today we're going to take a look at God's kingdom in a little bit of a different way. Uh, here in a little bit, we're going to do something we've never done before. Uh, I'm going to kind of set the tone for us today. And then we're going to have five of our next-gen pastors come up and teach on five kingdom values that God has called us to be as the church, and it is going to be an epic TED Talk because they're going to only have five minutes each, all right? And uh, it won't be like Showtime at the Apollo where we're going to bring out a hook, all right? But here's the deal. God is saying, I have a kingdom for you to step into because God is always saying, I want to grow you up to look more like me, to look more like my kingdom, to look more like your heavenly Father. And here's why this is important for us today. Because if we're not careful, here's what will happen for us as the church. We'll turn into a Toys R Us church. Here's what I mean by a Toys R Us church. We might get baptized. We might make that decision to follow Jesus. And then we'll say this. I don't want to grow up. All right, I'm a Toys R Us kid. And we make that decision and then we stop there and we go, yeah, I acknowledge Jesus at that moment, but we quit acknowledging him in our everyday life until we end up like Jeffrey the giraffe. I saw this picture on Twitter when Toys R Us, God bless their heart, closed, man. And poor Jeffrey. Turns out when you run out of money, you actually have to get a job, Jeffrey. And uh, no, but here's what happens. If we're not careful in our walk with Jesus, we'll quit choosing him and we'll quit growing up in him. And man, what we are committed to as the life of Jesus' church is we want to continue to grow up in him. Matter of fact, this is what Peter says. And this is the same disciple that, you know, denied Jesus but found himself being grown up in Christ. And he says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I love this. This is how he ends his letter to the church. This is how he ends his letter to you and I. He says this. He goes, I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to grow and to him be praised forever and ever. Amen. That God is wanting to grow us more into his image, to be his church, to step into that light. And today, the question that you and I are going to be asked is this, where does God want to grow us today to be more like him? Because God is saying, my kingdom, I'm going to grow you to be my people. You're going to look more like me. And this is why we read the scripture, because the disciples who walked with Jesus, who were closest to him, they had a lot of area to grow in. And they actually missed what Jesus was about. Listen how this story happened, because Jesus stepped into the shoes of some people that, you know, the disciples thought, no, they're not worth it. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 15. It says people were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them, to have him bless them. They're like, we think you're the Savior. Would you bless our children? And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. They literally told the families that were coming to find Jesus, uh, get, get your kids away from Jesus. Scram, kid. And listen to what Jesus says. But Jesus called the children to him 
And he said, you let the little children come to me and you don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What Jesus is saying in this moment is this, you don't get to decide who gets to be in God's kingdom or not. I decide that. And I'm calling every generation to be a part of my kingdom. And then he goes on to say this, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child actually will never enter it. Jesus was wanting to grow his disciples in this moment. And what we need to understand as we kind of set the tone today is this, Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom, but he also welcomes us with a warning. And here's the welcome. The welcome is this, Jesus is looking at you and I, no matter where we've been, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, and he says, I want you to know that the kingdom belongs to kids. That the king, the kids have a role in my kingdom. You have a role to play in God's kingdom. And some of you are going, Nate, I'm not a kid. Now here's what I want, I want you to know real quick. When he says that the kingdom belongs to them, what he's saying is this. The kingdom belongs to those who don't think they have anything to contribute to it. That's why the disciples wanted to keep them out. They're going, you're just a kid. You don't have anything to offer. Get out of here. Some of you who might be in the season of empty nesting now, you're like, okay, I guess I have nothing left to give. And Jesus goes, no, the kingdom belongs to you. You may be retired. You may be single. You may be looking for somebody. And the kingdom's going, no, no, no. Right where you are, Jesus says, I want to work in your life. And I want you to grow up to look more like me. Here's what I love right now that's going on in our life spiritually in our family is our seven-year-old Lily uh, literally getting here today. This is what's so cool about her. She is driving our family to church in the morning. And here's why. Because as a seven-year-old, she got asked to come in and serve with our His Kids ministry, which is our special needs ministry here, because they want to have buddies with them. And this is what she tells my wife every morning on Sunday morning. I'm already here preaching the earlier services. And what she tells my wife every morning is this, we got to get to church because I got to help Piper. I got to get there. Let's go. She's yelling at her brothers. You get dressed. You get in the band. Let's go. And I'm like, that's a miracle from the Lord, right? When the seven-year-old is driving the family to church. And you know why she's driving the family to church? Because she is now a part of the kingdom of her heavenly father. And God said, I designed my church to have seven-year-olds live out the kingdom of God. Middle schoolers, if you're here today, elementary kids, you guys have a role in the kingdom of God. And here's the warning, Jesus says. He says, and if we don't become like a kid, we can't belong to the kingdom. Meaning this. The goal of when you're raising your kid is this. You want to raise your kid to be independent of you, right? Nobody's going, I hope my 40-year-old's still living in the basement, right? <laughs> Nobody's saying that, right? Your goal when you raise your kid is you are growing them towards independence to be able to follow Jesus, make wise decisions. That's the goal. And what Jesus says in this moment is, yes, we are to grow independent of our parents, but we are more so to grow dependent on our heavenly father and everything that we do. And he's saying your call and my call is to become like children in the kingdom of God, that everything we do is about latching onto him because Jesus says this in John chapter 15. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Anybody remember what he says there? Nothing, nothing. And Jesus says, I have a whole kingdom adventure for you, but here's the deal. You gotta grow more dependent on me than yourself. And so here's where we're going today. We're going to go somewhere where we've never gone before. 
The kingdom of God is so incredible. And what we've, what we've kind of done is this. We've honed in on five things that we are teaching our next generation right now. And what we're saying is this. We want the next generation to come and reverse mentor us and to teach us and remind us of the way of the kingdom. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to talk on five core values of what the kingdom looks like. So I want to encourage you, take notes because I guarantee you this. Jesus wants to grow you today. He wants you to grow you, to look more like him, to look more like his kingdom. And we're going to have the next generation teach us the ways of Jesus. And we're going to begin to step into that. And here's what I want you to do. Here's what's so cool about this. These people, man, I love that I get to work with them. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. After each time that they teach, there's going to be five of them. After each time that they teach, would you guys cheer for them like they hit the game-winning shot in sectional? Right? Would you, would you just erupt for them? I need to cheer for them every week after they watch my three kids. God bless you. Please show up to work next week. Right? You know, like, please come back. And here's what I want to invite you to do. What we're going to find today is this, that the kingdom of God is breaking in in different ways than we dared to imagine. And God is asking you and inviting you to join him. Would you welcome Carrie Murphy right now while we kick this thing off? Well, good morning, church. What a joy it is to be here with you. You guys are a great-looking bunch. Now I know we have so many great-looking kids coming into our rooms. Well, my name is Carrie Murphy. I'm the early elementary minister here. That means I get the honor, the privilege, the joy of hanging out with the best preschoolers, kindergartners, first and second graders. And as you can see from the video, puppetry is one of the things that we use to help communicate the truths of God to them. We use puppets and songs and Bible truths. We call them Bible truths, not Bible stories, because we want them to know that everything in the Bible is a truth for their life. We help them hide God's word in their heart so that later on in life when they hit a tough spot, Holy Spirit can bring that memory verse right back up to them and they've got it to go forward with. You know, I don't do all of this alone. There's an entire crew of volunteer leaders who come in and serve with over a thousand kids every weekend from fifth grade on down. Yeah, you can applaud them. They are superheroes. Yes. And so that's why it's such a joy to get to jump into this passage where we hear about Jesus inviting the children. And I don't know exactly what Jesus did when he invited the children. I mean, I, I could kind of guess, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus took the little ones and he put them on his knee and did that little horsey ride. You know, maybe he grabbed those boys in a big old headlock and gave them a noogie like they need. You know, did he take the girls and do a little twirly spin with them? I, I don't know exactly, but I know that he invited them, and they came to him with joy, and they came to him with trust. And trust is what we're going to be talking about today. You know, I'm not sure what he did, but I am certain that whatever he did, he met them right where they were at, giving them exactly what they needed in exactly the way they needed I'm sure that the posture of his body and the posture of his heart was right there at their level. No wonder they could just run into his arms with trust. 
You know, we've talked about trust, we've sung about trust, and you go, but what is trust? And it's easy to think that trust is, well, I can trust someone because they're reliable. I can count on them. They're going to do the thing they said they're going to do. But I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people, I know they're going to do the thing they said to do, but I don't trust them. So the missing component there is character. When you've got a character that comes together with that trust, that godly character that aligns, then we can put our trust in that. So we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can trust that. So as we build this foundation of trust with the kids when they come, we have leaders who are all the way from second grade all the way up to grandparents. We've got single people. We've got teenagers. We've got middle schoolers. We've got everybody. And we have men and we have women. And it takes everyone. And you can say, why can we enable a second grader to come and work in his kids? It's because if you tell kids, sit down and be quiet, if you tell them that enough, you wind up with adults who think it's their job to just sit down and be quiet. And so we start from very young age, enabling them to serve God. So we make sure that they have trust because we've got the same leaders in their rooms every single weekend so that they are right on their level, welcoming them with a great big smile saying, I'm so glad you are here. You know, we celebrate the baptisms today of those young men. I guarantee that along with that devoted mom, there's a long line of volunteer leaders who were committed to being in their rooms with them every single weekend, showing them who Jesus is and building that trust. You know, we get the fun, the joy of being able to see the ups and downs of the preschoolers. We get to see the growth and maturity of the kindergartners. We get to see those smiles from those first and second graders and you know, if you've ever had a second grader, if you have one now, you'll know you can spot them across the room because they're the ones that have no teeth. Like, Tooth Fairy is very busy in the first and second grade, right? And my own kids are adults now. They're in college. But I remember when they were little. And I remember a time where I just thought, you know, we're going to come together as a family. We're going to have this spiritual moment. We're going to do some family devotions. We're going to do some communion at home. It's going to be so beautiful. I'm going to be able to put it on Facebook. It's going to look good. And then we get into this moment, and my kids are just goofing off. And they're just laughing, and they're just being squirrely. And I'm just thinking to myself, come on, guys. Can we do this? Are you just goofing off? How come you can't be spiritual? Come on, let's worship God. And in that moment, God, in his gentle, father-like way, he drops this into me that says, while you are trying to get your kids to be more spiritual, I am trying to get you to be more childlike. And you thought that the kingdom looked like you when really it looks more like them. And so today I brought these shoes to remind me that we all need to become childlike and step into the shoes of a child and put our trust and put our faith in the Christ, in the Jesus, in the God, the Father who loves us and is trustworthy. So I thank you so much that I could come today. It's just a delight to be here with you to make Northside my home. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Enjoy your day.
Yeah, so third through fifth grade is a transition where kids go from my parents' faith to my own faith. And what I love about this transition is it's where kids start owning their faith for themselves. It's where they start putting their faith into action. And a couple weeks ago, I was looking at our prayer wall in our third through fifth grade ministry, and this little girl had written this prayer, and she was so proud. She hung it up on the wall, and her prayer said, God, I pray for my family. And I stopped, and I was like, she's starting to get it. She's starting to learn what it means to own her faith. But then I realized her prayer wasn't over, because what she really wrote was, God, I pray for my family to have Mexican food for dinner tonight. <laughs> and I was like, you're so close to getting it. But the more I thought about it, I was like, amen. Like, I'm going to start praying like that girl. But really, as a church, we play a huge role in helping the next generation know what it means to own their Faith, Because kids will own their faith when they see us owning ours. Growing up, I watched my mom own her faith. I still remember exactly what my mom's Bible looks like. It was purple leather. It had gold pages. I watched her read it every single day. I watched my mom own her faith. Now think about that for a second. If you're a parent in this room, does your kid know what your Bible looks like? Do they ever see you reading it? And maybe you're not a parent and you're thinking, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a parent either because I like vacation and I like sleeping. <laughs> but even if you don't have kids, how are you setting an example for the next generation to know what it means to own their faith. I want to tell you about Keegan and Shelby because a few months ago Keegan promoted into third grade and he was in our ministry for the very first time and he walked in and he was so nervous and he was so shy he stood in the back against the wall and he didn't want to participate in anything and everything changed when Keegan's mom Shelby decided that she was going to own her faith. Because Shelby decided that she was going to lead a small group of third grade girls at the exact same service that Keegan goes to. And after one week of Keegan watching his mom own her faith, Keegan went to his school and he told all of his friends, guys, my mom works at church now. And then he came up to me and he said, can I please be a leader just like my mom? Keegan watched his mom own her faith, and he wanted to own his. Last week, Keegan did puppets in our kindergarten ministry for the very first time. And his mom, Shelby, sent me this text message afterwards. Shelby said, yo, Keegan loved the puppets and is so excited to keep volunteering. Thanks so much for setting that up and helping us to become a family who volunteers. Now, here's another way that we could read that text. Keegan loved the puppets and is so excited to keep owning his faith. Thanks so much for setting that up and helping us to become a family who owns our faith.
kids will own their faith when they see us owning ours. So I'm just going to ask you, are you owning your faith? Thank you so much. Northside, my name's Jacob. I'm on the student team, and this is going to be fun. We're going to have a good time right now. Uh, I get to talk about identity for just a few minutes, which is such a big deal with our students, but I, I honestly think it's a big deal across America right now. Like this question of who am I? And the way we talk about it with our students is, is we talk about descriptions versus definitions. And on one side, you have a description, which is just simply that it describes something. Uh, it's relative. It's an opinion, honestly. On the other side, you have a definition, which is the truth. It's the core of something. It just is what it is. For example, if I held up uh, my iPhone, some of you in the room who have iPhones, you would say, man, that's a great phone. I love this feature. I love this. Some of you in the room have made a mistake and you bought a Samsung <laughs> on purpose. Like you paid money for that. And you might look at the iPhone, you're like, it's a good phone and it's fine, but I like when my phone randomly explodes. Like that's something I like about my phone. That's fun. Some of you in the room still have a phone that has like the rolly thing, the rotary phone. And you're like, I don't even know how to use an iPhone. That's fine too. But a description, a thousand people could describe one item a thousand different ways. There's only one way to define a phone. And the problem becomes when we allow descriptions to become a part of our identity. We allow a description about ourselves to become a part of who we are. And I remember when I was in high school, I got my first girlfriend and I was walking into school one day, one of the first days that we were dating and I was feeling good. If I had to describe myself, I was looking good. I was probably smelling good. Shout out to Axe, shower in a can, middle school parents. You know what I'm talking about right now. Some of you are clapping, wow, all right. And I'm walking in, I'm a boyfriend for the first time, so I gotta describe myself differently. And I see my girlfriend at her locker and she has some of her friends around her. And I'm thinking, oh, I gotta go listen to what she's saying. She's probably sharing the good news. And so I sneak around and I'm listening and she says, yeah, it's official. I'm dating Jacob Bales. And I pause, because I'm waiting for applause and, or a squeal. And one of her friends says back, Jacob Bales, is that that bird looking kid? And I was like, I was like, oh. So I flew to the bathroom really quickly. And I, and I went in and I looked at the mirror and it was so strange. For the first time, I looked at myself and I thought, you know, I don't look like a bird, but I'm, I'm, am I weird looking? Like, you know what's crazy? As small as that was, that one description changed me a little bit. It made me view myself differently. It, it changed my identity. And it shook my confidence and it hurt me for a while. And we let descriptions become a part of who we are all too often. And sometimes, by the way, these are good descriptions. We have students that come into our ministry and they are musicians. They are athletes. They are teammates. They are scholars. They are actors or actresses. These are good things. People in this room, some of you are parents. Some of you are the best aunts and uncles a kid could ask for. Some of you are in this new season of being a grandparent. Some of you are bosses employees, coworkers, coaches. And those are great descriptions. But that's not who you are. And some of you in this room right now, you can't even track with those good descriptions because the only thing you ever hear about yourself 
or maybe it's the only thing that you tell yourself is a bad description. And you just hear this word failure. You hear invaluable, you hear broken, damaged, too far gone. And that's the description that you keep telling yourself over and over and over again. Or maybe it's someone else telling it to you. And you need to know this today. Who you are is never defined by what you do, good or bad. Who you are is never defined by what other people are saying about you. And who you are is never defined by what you say about, you, about yourself. Who you are is defined by whose you are. And if you don't know whose you are, or maybe you just need a quick reminder this morning, who you, whose you are is God's. Who, who created you, he fearfully and wonderfully created you. He knit you together in your mother's room. Jesus died for you and paid a price for you, which means you no longer belong to yourself. You are his. And what he says about you, the things that we see in the Bible that he says about you, oh my goodness, one of them is just loved. That is a definition for you. You are loved. You are forgiven. Some of you in here, your identity has been a single mistake you've made. Or maybe your whole identity has simply been a, a time in your life where you just kept making mistakes and you think, I can't shake that. Mm, that's just, that's gonna follow me forever. That's just who I am. No, you're forgiven. You're protected. You're redeemed. You're adopted. You're changed. You're chosen. Some of you in here, your whole identity has been, I'm just alone. And no one ever chooses me. You know, this person gets this promotion. This person gets this. No one wants me. He chooses you every day. You are victors. You are more than conquerors. Or maybe you just need to hear this this morning. In 1 John 3, verse 1, it says this. See how very much our Father loves us. And check this out. For he calls us his children. And children inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what we are. Northside family, who you are is not defined by what you do, by what people say about you, by what you say about yourself. Young or wise, not old, wise, you are defined by whose you are. And you are his. Thank you. Hey, go Cats! Yeah! I didn't get booed off the stage, that's good. Uh, hey, my name is Kyle and I also am one of the student ministers here working with our middle school and high school students. And um, the topic that I've been given to talk with you guys about today is just this simple idea of taking responsibility for our friends. Having um, an honest conversation with the people closest to us about our faith, living out the calling that Jesus has put on each and every one of our lives in Matthew chapter chapter 28. And we don't have a lot of time today, so I'm just going to dive right into it. And the phrase that I want to land on, the phrase that I want to unpack just for the next few minutes is this. Taking responsibility for your friends means taking Jesus to your friends. Okay, if we want to be people who take responsibility for our friends, we must be people who are constantly taking Jesus to our friends. And in our student ministry, we are incredibly passionate about this. 
You see Tommy in the baptistry. One of the main reasons that Tommy is in that baptistry is because he had a couple of friends take responsibility for him and invite him to something that was much bigger than himself. We are so passionate about this in our ministry, so much so that if you were to ask our students, especially our high schoolers, they are probably sick and tired of hearing us say, hey, invite your friend to church, have a conversation about your faith, sit down with someone close to you and talk with them about Jesus. But the reason that we are so passionate about this is because scripture, God's word is littered all over the place with this idea uh, of taking responsibility for our friends and sharing our faith. Specifically, there's a story in Luke chapter five where these these guys, they take responsibility for their friend and, and their main goal, the one thing they want to do is get their friend to Jesus. In Luke chapter five, starting in verse 18, this is what it says. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Skip down verse 24. So I will prove to you, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. I'll be honest, there are a lot of cool things within this text in Luke chapter 5 that we just don't have enough time to dive into today. But the main thing that I want to focus on, the main thing that I want you guys to grab from this text is this. These friends would do whatever it took to get their friend to see Jesus. They were willing to go above and beyond. They walked who knows how far, carrying their friend on what nowadays would be like a stretcher. That They get to the house, it's completely full, so they decide to climb up on a roof, and once they get on this roof, they they don't care what they have to do, they don't care what damage they cause, they just want their friend to see Jesus. Jesus, and we ask our students this, and I'm gonna ask you this today. What would you be willing to do so that one of your friends would just see Jesus? Like, what would you be willing to go through for someone close to you to have an encounter with Jesus? You know, another reason I'm so passionate about this topic is because when I was in high school, I failed at this. I was not living out the calling that Jesus had put on my life to take responsibility for my friends. In high school, I knew who Jesus was and my friends didn't. I wasn't living out that calling. In fact, I'll never forget when I was 22 years old, I had just started my internship right here at Northside and my best friend from high school called me and I probably hadn't talked to him in a couple years, and I answered the phone, and I was like, hey, man, what is up? What's going on? And and he just said, hey, Kyle, aren't you like one of those ministers or something like that? And I was like, yeah, I'm an intern. I guess that counts. Like, yeah, what's going on? And my friend said, well, I, I would really like it if you would pray for me. Would you be willing to do that? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I would. I would love to pray for you. What's going on in your life that you need prayer? And my best friend from high school, proceeded to tell me that the next day he had a court date because he had gotten in with the wrong people, he had gotten in with the wrong crowd, and he had been caught selling cocaine. 
Here he is, this 22-year-old kid, barely out of college, probably going to jail for like the next three years of his life. And I never had this moment where I thought, you know what, it's my fault my friend did this. It's my fault my friend got caught up in this. But I did hear God say to me that day, like, what if? What if you would have had one conversation? What if you would have invited him to church one time? What if you would have had enough conviction in your life to sit down and take responsibility for that friend? Would his life have looked any different? And here's my my fear when it comes to taking responsibility for our friends. If we in this room as adults, if we in this room as parents aren't taking responsibility for our friends, my fear is this, that our kids and our students and the next generation of this church, they won't either. Thank you, guys. Kelsey, and as you just saw in that little clip, um, that is Brody. That is my husband, Matt and I's fur baby. We love him so, so very much. Um, I have been on staff here since 2016 when I started my internship with our college age ministry, The Return. They are all here this morning. Uh, They slept in and came to the late service. Um, But currently in my role, I get to serve with female students all the way from sixth grade through college age. And that is a pretty incredible privilege. However, that was not always my plan. Growing up, um, my church attendance was here and there. But by the time I reached middle school, church attendance declined uh, to mainly the holidays and a few exceptions here and there. You see, I didn't grow up disliking the church. I was just never really fully invited in to love it. Kyle just spoke about the importance we try to instill in our students about sharing their faith with their friends. I am also super passionate about that because when I was in high school, I wish that I could say I had a friend who invited me to church or to a youth group just once. Even though I probably would have said no, I wonder how those years could have looked differently had someone around me mentioned the name of Jesus. There's no one in particular to blame for this. However, if you are someone in this room right now who is a believer, this is why perseverance in your faith is so crucial. So that no matter your age, others will see your perseverance and they'll be given an opportunity to know God through you. We don't just want to teach our students about this on the weekends. We want to model it in our lives. I'll never forget the moment that I first became really curious about knowing who Jesus was. I was 20 years old and it was in an FCA meeting on my college campus. A few people had taken the chance to encourage me and some of my teammates to show up. Through that, God's plan led me back here to Northside into our college age ministry where several people helped me take steps that led to more steps that changed my life forever. However, that's commonly not the case for students in college. Right now, it is estimated that between 60 to 80% of those who accept Christ in their teens will walk away from their faith within the first year of college. 
That is pretty staggering, and there are tons of different factors that people say contribute to this number, and we don't have time to dive into all of those things today. But I will say this. If you're 18 in this room about to head off to college or whether you're nearing the age of 80, the choice to persevere in your faith right now anchors you to an eternal hope. It secures your heavenly reward. Many of us in this room, we know what it's like to come face to face with a season of life that requires perseverance and endurance. But what does it look like to persevere in your faith daily? It's about fixing our gaze ahead on what is unseen rather than what we can see now. And I'll be the first to admit that that is challenging. But listen to how the Apostle Paul sums this up for us in the book of Philippians chapter 3. In verse 12 he says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So Paul says, focus on one thing. He says, look forward to what lies ahead and not what is behind you. He says, run the race marked out for you with endurance in order that you may receive your prize. What prize is he talking about? In this passage, Paul is using athletic language. And I have to assume that if there is any group of people who understand athletic language, it's Hoosiers. Paul, yes, someone's excited to be a Hoosier. Um, Paul is trying to make sure we understand this, that at the end of our life, there is something to be attained. There is something to be won, and that is your heavenly reward. He finishes up that chapter by reminding us of this important truth. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We won't eagerly await a heavenly Savior if our eyes are so fixed on this world. We must trust that there is something worth persevering towards, and that is eternity with our author and perfecter. So parents, coaches, neighbors... Co-workers, friends, brothers, sisters, grandparents, anyone sitting in this room today. The faith of the next generation depends on you coming alongside of them and living out your faith with perseverance. Don't give up because I promise they are watching you. Every single day I get the chance to serve alongside groups of students where our mission is to go after the lost. And so as we wrap up today, I want to ask you this question. Who is waiting on you to go after them? Who is depending on the fact that you will persevere in your faith? Church family, be confident of this. Perseverance strengthens your character. Strengthening of your character leads to hope. And that hope will not fail you. Thank you guys so much um, for welcoming all of us up here this weekend. We have so enjoyed it. I tell you, this is the joy it is to be the church, that the kingdom of God is advancing through every age and every generation, and he is simply inviting us into his story. And I just want to share this real quick before we have a family meal out on the patio together. Uh, I remember it was my junior year of high school uh, that I started to drift into that 60 and 80% that Kelsey was talking about. 
And it wasn't because my parents did anything wrong. They loved me. They were showing me the ways of the kingdom. Uh, But I started making some poor decisions in my life my junior year. And it was the junior high pastor at my church, Mark Hostetler. I'll never forget him. Single guy, not married, no kids, just removed from Bible college a couple years ago. And he saw me drifting. And there comes a point in time where I think all kids quit listening to their parents. And it was the church that spoke to me. And Mark saw me drifting and he said, Nate, he didn't come in and kind of criticize me and condemn me. He says, hey man, you like to talk and you've been around the church. Why don't you come and why don't you share and speak and preach to the junior high kids? I'll help you write the message, but but come on, man, we'll, we'll do this together. And it was in that moment that Mark Hostetler changed my entire life and career. I wasn't planning on going to being a pastor. I wasn't the plan. But it was an invitation from someone who was living out the kingdom that forever changed my life. Because of him, I went on to Bible college and I began to pursue this. And here it is, just simply someone who was focused on the kingdom They said, God, who you want me to reach out to, who you want me to speak to, who you want me to bring into your kingdom, I'm gonna be faithfully serving you. And when my family moved here in 1999, when my dad became the lead pastor 20 years ago now, I had no idea that I'd be the lead pastor here. And could it be, just dream with me here for a second, could it be that the next lead pastor of this church is already here? He's just in our junior high ministry. And it's because people like you who are investing your life into them, teaching them the ways of Jesus, their life and their career and their work will be forever changed. See, this is the beauty of the kingdom of God. He's going, I just want you to come after me with childlike faith and watch me do a work in you that you don't think you can do yourself. Matter of fact, our kids' side team, they've put together a little four-week challenge. They want to invite you uh, to step in between now and the end of the year. It doesn't need to be four weeks in a row, but they want to invite you to go on our MyNorthSide.com, our homepage. And if you're going, you know what, I, I want to start beginning to influence the next generation. I just don't know how. There's a whole list of ways for you to get involved. And they simply just through this, they want to start a conversation with you. And they say, hey, would you begin to step into what God has for you? so that the next generation would know and see the faithfulness of God. Would you guys give a hand to our next gen team one more time and just say, well done. Well done guys, proud of you. Let's pray, let's pray and then we'll have a family meal. Father, we thank you for today. What a joy, what a word that you've given to us. That even the kids belong in your kingdom. If Father, you are advancing your kingdom. We know this is a difficult world to be a Christian in right now, but God, nothing is too difficult for you. And so, Father, we lean into you and we trust you with our lives and we ask you, Father, to help us. Wherever it is that you want us to grow in your kingdom, our identity, our trust, our perseverance, taking responsibility, owning our faith. Father, wherever it is today, Holy Spirit, we ask by your power and your presence in our life that we would begin to grow more like you. So Father, thank you for your invitation.
Thank you that we get to be a part of this and thank you for leading your church family here. Jesus, it is by your grace and your mercy that we live and we work and we speak of you. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said together, amen. Let's go enjoy a family meal out there, everybody. God bless you.